You're listening to the Reconciling Hope Podcast, where the leadership team of Gospel Hope Church discusses how the Bible transforms our beliefs, actions, and impacts our relationship with God and with others. Well, good morning, Gospel Hope, and welcome to another episode of the Reconciling Hope Podcast. And uh, I'm with Rod here, as always, and we're going to be talking about today uh, Rod's message from Daniel chapter 10 verses, uh, chapters 10 through 12. Uh, we wrapped up our series here uh, called Exiles, Living Faithfully in a Fallen World. And hopefully this series has been encouraging to you as you've thought about how to navigate the twists and turns of our culture and live as a exile, a pilgrim in a foreign land in one way. So Rod, I want to jump right into it. And uh, Man, in all the messages that you preach through this series, uh, you kept on coming back to the idea that, that you saw God's sovereignty throughout this book. Um, you made a statement this Sunday that we need to learn to savor the sovereignty yeah. of God. And I think you said in every season of life. Um, yeah. what, what does that mean? Can you unpack that just a little bit for us? What does it mean to savor the sovereignty of God? Yeah, I, I think there are some ideas that we can quote unquote leave on the, the theological shelf, right? No pun intended. You got the shelves behind me. You know, there's certain ideas that you and I learned in seminary that, you know, unless we were having kind of a systematic, systematic theology pop quiz, we might not ever revisit any of these books unless we're just enjoying being nerds. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe for the lay person, a non preacher, sovereignty is probably one of those topics. It's a big word that we know is important and it is paramount to our faith, so to speak, but it is something that we draw down, as I like to call it, from the cloud. And really, we don't see ourselves as practitioners of God's sovereignty. We see that's mm -hmm. his business and it's too big for me to figure out. And I'm just gonna say here, but, to say, but, but Daniel showed us how to savor God's sovereignty because mm -hmm. he was a person in a perilous position for what, from age 15 through his 80s. He was not in an ideal circumstance and it was God's sovereignty and his interaction with it that was really kind of his surfboard, his life raft, his binoculars. Like, and, 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 when I, and so when I go through all of those iterations of what the sovereignty of God did for him, it challenged his perspective, it preserved him, it gave him faith, it gave him hope. It was Daniel's recollection of the fact that God is in charge, God is in control, God is leading, God is guiding, God is enabling me to interpret these visions. Like just this, you could see Daniel savoring God's sovereignty in virtually every chapter, but in different and very nuanced ways. Hmm. I think we would do well to, like Daniel, in all of the different nuances of life, not neglect the sovereignty of God and leave it on the shelf, but to really bring it down into the way that I view my current situation. I'll be the first to confess, right, as I kind of wear these shoes, something non-preferred, less than ideal happens in my life. Mm -hmm. And everything from, oh, shucks, to, to maybe complaining to my wife or complaining to you or um, uh, or being frustrated about it. Like all of those are, yes, it is owed to be human, but they are also reflections of the fact that I'm saying um, uh, that I have not deferred to God's 
big game plan yet. Mm -hmm. I'm just viewing it very locally and personally, but I haven't brought God into the conversation yet when I spend the majority of my time worrying and complaining and pouting. Um, so, so that's what I mean by that. I, I think those are some key, if you want to call it some traffic signals that we maybe need to go, whoa, let me, let me, let me confer with God before I spend too much time grinding my gears on this non-ideal situation. I, hopefully that's, that, that, that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. You, you know, the Bible, um, one, one of my professors at uh, Westminster, D David Pallison, used to say, the Bible is practical theology. And, yes. And, and what he meant by that is no doctrine of scripture is ultimately just for us to, you know, ponder in our ivory towers. But there's practical implications for the way we live as believers. And I think you're absolutely right. right. We need to you know, if the doctrine of sovereignty is one of those books that's gotten dusty on the shelf, um, we need to pull it down and brush it off and realize that God means that to have um, impacts on our life from day to day. He is in control. He is king and he is good and we can yeah. trust his plan. And, yeah. and if, if you want to take a, a, a deep dive into that, I just encourage you or commend to you the book. It's called Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. It's a, it's a brief read, probably under 200 pages, and it's just a super helpful, super practical way to apply this doctrine mm -hmm. to your day-to-day -day life. So if you haven't ever read that book, Trusting God by Jerry Bridges, everything Jerry Bridges writes is awesome, but I think that one in particular is, is maybe his, his finest book. Um, so I, I want to transition. Now, there, there's like a a pretty weird story in Daniel chapter yeah. 10 through 12 about Michael and, you know, he's bound and battles the Prince of Persia and, and yeah. then he shows up and he's like, man, I was sent on the day that you prayed this prayer. Man, right. what does this weird kind of story teach us about prayer in the life of a believer? Yeah. You know what? It teaches us exactly what Paul taught us in Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 18. Without Paul's disclosure or exposition on the fact that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but, but against principalities and powers in heavenly places, forces of darkness, without Paul's exposition, I don't know if I would have had any lenses to look through to really understand what in the world Daniel was talking about. So number one, um, whether it be Dr. Pa uh, Pallison's um, 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 admonishment, not admonishment, or, or conversation with you, that, hey, there is no, all theology is practical. Like mm -hmm. that means something for us today. And I think Paul really helped us with it to understand that, man, when we are praying, this isn't just like saying the Pledge of Allegiance. This isn't just an mm -hmm. aspirational statement that if this is all true, my life is going to be good. And I hope it is. Mm -hmm. It isn't just a casual greeting. It isn't like a liturgy at a great wedding, you know, where, you know, you know, by the power vested in me. You know, I mean, you have all these different spaces where we say words, and uh, if they are true, things are great, but we don't really put power in the process. Mm. Um, I think this is a crucial reminder of how powerful and crucial prayer is to the life of the believer. Mm. I've heard uh, authors and preachers like Tony Evans, I don't know if he was the originator of this, but hey, if you want to 
you know, check the spiritual maturity of a person, you know, look no further than kind of the thermostat or if you will, of their, of their prayer life. There's all kinds of adages like that. I think it lets us know that prayer is a much bigger deal than we think it is. And um, it would serve us well to pray in the ways that the Bible calls us to. And as I outlined in the message, pray like we're wrestling, right? You know, uh, pray like we're a warrior or pray like we're a watchman. And I think if we would live out some of those ideals, man, we'd really be able to get our arms around. We, I think we see a, a, a much, uh, if you want to call it fulfillment or uh, practical, um, uh, I, much more fulfilling pra uh, a prayer life, more traction, if you will. But at mm -hmm. the same time, a much higher level of utility. Prayer would become less of a pledge of allegiance and an aspirational conversation into the ether and more of a real dialogue with God about gritty things. Mm. Um, I think that's that's what Daniel showed us. Daniel, and, and again, Daniel kind of, you know, Daniel is one side of the headphones and I think Paul's the other and the Holy Spirit is the one kind of giving up, driving that whole conversation. I, man, that really boosted my appreciation for the verbal plenary inspiration of God's word and just how the Old and New Testament um, give us kind of the whole conversation of God there. Mm. So mm. Oh, that's good. Yeah, there's, there's far more going on when we're praying than sometimes we realize, you know, oh, yeah. Dan, Daniel no doubt prayed and was like, hey, you know, what's going on here? And it yeah. was only when Michael showed up that he understood yeah. uh, more fully what was happening. I mean, that's a, that's a fantastic thing. Like sometimes we just think, man, my prayers are going no further than ceiling. Well, maybe, yeah. maybe not. Maybe something right. greater is going on during this time. Yeah. So, you know, one of our burdens at Gospel Hope is to say that, man, we want the word to connect with culture in some way. Um, you know, the Bible is relevant for all people of all time. Right. And, um, you know, one of the one of the principles we saw playing out here is and you highlighted it again throughout the book of Daniel. Daniel's under all of these different kings. And yeah none of them would be considered like godly principled rulers, but many of them did some extremely wicked things. And yet Daniel through the whole time served under those regimes. Um, yeah. You know, we're, we're in a similar place in our culture right now with there's a transfer of power and however you feel about that, like we're under different Kings right now. Um, yeah. How does the book of Daniel as a whole inform the way that we think about government officials and our relationship to them? I, I believe that the book of Daniel gives us a live, if you want to call it stage play, of what we are told in the book of Romans, that, hey, government is kind of God's enterprise, right? He's, he's there. He's at work. And, and, and even Daniel told it to us more clearly. He said it and showed it to us that, man, God is kind of guiding that thing and and God's guidance in what's happening in shifts in power and leadership doesn't have anything to do necessarily with God's preference of a candidate or another but it's more God's plan for telling the story of redemption throughout all cultures and people like this whole this whole story of shifts in power mm -hmm. as God stepped into it it was always about 
him making a declaration of himself and underscoring the need for him, regardless of cultural ideation, your position on the hierarchy. I mean, you know, again, Daniel 15, lowest of the low and exile, you know, that's the bottom of society, you know, completely marginalized, which is one of the big capstone words of today, you know, uh, and then all of the kings would have represented the highest level of the food chain as far as anybody would be able to see. And here it is, God shows himself strong, mighty, and in control and actively engaged in the lives of both the whoever the most majestic and whoever is the most marginalized. And I think that's the cultural story that, uh, I think that's the story today of greatest cultural impact that no matter how far up the ladder or how far down the ladder you are, God is actively engaged and his engagement doesn't necessarily look like your enjoyment. I'm not trying to be cliche, but, you know, many times when we think, uh, hey, if God is involved and if God's on my side, then all the outcomes need to match my my preferences. That's not what we saw in the book of Daniel. So God can be actively engaged both at the highest level and in the lowest levels of what's happening in the culture. And his engagement for his glory translates to the good of his people, but not necessarily to all of the preferences of his people. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's that's one of the cultural tensions, right? You know, for us as America, you know, as Americans, I think as American Christians, you know, Christianity can can feel somewhat out of style, so to speak, if uh, if our person who we think is our person isn't getting in office and our prayers aren't being answered the way we thought they they should be answered that, well, Christianity must not be the right fit. Let me try something else. I think that's one of the great cultural admonitions or corrections from the book of Daniel. But one of the encouragements is that whether at the top or the bottom, God is in the mix and actively able to engage both. So. That's good, that's good. So our mission at Gospel Hope is to grow um, in the gospel as a family while on mission. Um, mm-hmm. Which of those relationships, our relationship with God, with other believers, or with the world, were you thinking about as you prepped for this sermon? Yeah, you know what? I, um, you know, the visions, just just God's very vivid interaction with Daniel, I could not escape that this is God wanting us to, you know, my relationship with God, I need to be, it needs to be shaped. It needs to, I, I felt like I needed to raise my game in terms of prayer engagement. I needed to raise my game in terms of enjoyment of who God has been throughout the history of scripture and world history and watching how he has caused certain things to come out. Just, just growing in my relationship with God is super powerful because if I grow in that, it will, as a secondary effect, um, make me more astute in how I interpret world events and how I engage with my world and grow my relationship with the world and how I engage there. So mm-hmm. Paramount was growing in my relationship with the Lord. And then I think it just kind of really produced some some greater opportunity to encourage other believers. So growing in my relationship with, you know, my, my fellow saints in the Bible uh, body. And then of course, in the way that I in, interact with uh, topics, quote unquote, that are deemed to be just, just kind of of a worldly nature. Yeah. So, yeah. And then finally, Rod, we talk about displaying the reconciling hope of the gospel. How, mm-hmm. how do you think maybe Daniel 10 through 12 or the book of Daniel as a whole 
really displays the reconciling hope of the gospel. You know, throughout the book of Daniel, it seems as if, and I'm pretty confident in this statement, even though it feels kind of absolute, God never showed us a problem in Daniel's life that the Lord himself didn't just put a bow on. This is how I'm going to finish this. Here, here's an issue, but here's how I'm going to finish it. You know, from, from chapter one, whether it was the, the young boys being carted off and being challenged to take on a diet that wasn't part of their native culture that, to defile themselves, but God, you know, we saw that issue and then God put a bow on it. He affirmed his people for being faithful. He, he caused them to have a level of health and um, nutrition that was not like anyone else around them. And you just advanced throughout the scriptures. No, no matter where the problem started, God finished it. And he finished it in both a glorious way that was edifying to his people and glorifying to himself. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, that is the reconciling hope of the gospel, right? The gospel paints a gloomy picture for us. All have fallen short of the glory of God. None is righteous. None pursues him. Everybody's running from him. You know, man is doing life his own way. The gospel informs us of these very negative realities. You know, no man can be, you know, can see the kingdom of God without being born again. You know, you know uh, camels, eyes of needles, pick, you know, pick your passage. The gospel seems to always be pointing at these issues in our lives, but it never start. It never, it starts the conversation there, but it never closes with that, with that. It always closes with, but here's the hope. Here's the opportunity. Here's the reconciliation. Here's what God has done. What do you think? Will you come? You know, that seems to always be the bow that God puts on all of the conversations that might start with somewhat of a burden. So um, that's the reconciling hope of the book is, I mean, again, if you're, man, if you're, if you're an Israelite at that time, what good news could possibly come out of their current situation? But God had good news for them after every chapter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's great yeah no matter what your starting point is no matter what your circumstances are there's right. still hope to be made right with god because he's taken the initiative he's, yeah. he's moved yeah amen well i hope this uh, series has been encouraging to you it certainly has been to me and i hope it's blessed the church in some way i know that you know in this season of elections and post-elections and trying to navigate all this, I, I feel like Daniel was a good word for us to hear. And uh, Lord willing, uh, we will be encouraged as we move into the Christmas season. And uh, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of John and a brief series we're calling Reasons for the Season, uh, because Jesus explicitly in the Bible says, here is why I came. So rather than guessing what the reason for the season is, let's hear it from the proverbial horse's mouth as it were and see what jesus said why he came so thanks gospel hope looking forward to uh continuing to talk with you hopefully you've been blessed by this series and this conversation today see you soon thank you for listening to the reconciling hope podcast be sure to subscribe for future content on podcast platforms like apple spotify or google podcasts Gospel Hope Church is located in Atlanta, Georgia, with the mission of making disciples who are growing in the gospel as a family while on mission. If you're interested in learning more, tune into our Facebook Live services Sundays at 11 a.m. or check out gospelhopechurch.com.